Hello and welcome to Bite-Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I'm Nick, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about Hadrian's Wall, which was a string of Roman fortifications near the current border of England and Scotland. It was the furthest extent in the northwest of the Roman Empire, and was it uh, demarcated the northern border, the furthest extent of the Roman province of Britannia. So we're going to go over a little bit about the history of the wall and kind of some of the specifications, like the actual physical specifications. And I hope you find it interesting because I do. Um, it's actually a World Heritage Site. It was declared so in 1987. So it's actually, I think, one of the most interesting World Heritage Sites in the British Isles. So let's get started. Our story begins in 43 AD. Uh, AD meaning Anno Domini, Year of Our Lord. That's kind of the old way of marking out the calendar. The newer kind of way that's used by political scientists, historians, and stuff like that is CE, so Common Era. In 43 CE, Emperor Claudius uh, begins his conquest of Britain, and he ran into a, a number of the, the local native tribes that put up uh, a pretty stiff resistance, but eventually they were overtaken, and the Roman province of Britannia was founded. In 122 CE, Emperor Hadrian uh, ordered the building of this wall. And to this day, one of the Latin names for it is the Wallum Hadriani, uh, Hadrian's Wall. Uh, you'll often see it spelled as Volum, but in classical Latin, the, the V is pronounced as a W, so Wallum Hadriani. In the 140 CE, the Roman army, the Roman Empire, actually did expand north to a second wall called the Antonine Wall, but they were unable to hold this for very long. It was just too far in enemy territory, maybe too far from their supply bases, so that by 158 CE, the Roman army returned to Hadrian's Wall. In, in uh, 180 CE, there was a major attack on the wall, and things pretty much stayed like that for a long time. Uh, there was these Roman garrisons on the frontier, always manning the wall. It uh, wasn't really considered a great job <laughs> for a lot of these Roman soldiers because you're in this faraway place. It's, it's kind of dark, it's kind of damp. It's, you know, at the furthest extent of Roman civilization. By 410 CE, the Roman army was uh, completely withdrawing from Britain. And that's kind of our timeline. Uh, that's the, the, the roughly 400 years of the Roman presence in Britain. And finally, like I said, in our time, in 1987, the world realized, uh, oh, hey, this is a pretty important historical site, pretty important landmark. So it was declared a World Heritage Site, uh, open to all. A lot of the numbers and uh, dates and figures today I'm pulling from a group called English Heritage. They are a conservation group and registered charity in England. So who built the wall? Um, you would think that they would like 
use a bunch of local laborers and stuff like that. But as it turns out, they didn't. Um, in order to get the technological know-how and kind of the discipline needed to build this huge wall, it was built by three legions. Um, the Roman legion was their, their standard military unit, uh, infantry unit. These people were highly motivated, highly trained. So the estimate is that uh, each legion was about 5,000 men. So it took about 15,000 men to actually build this wall. Despite that, the people actually manning the wall for the next few centuries were not legions. And the reason why is that because they were so well-equipped, disciplined, motivated, uh, trained, skilled, the Roman legions were too valuable to waste just guarding a wall on the, the distant frontier. So it was manned by auxiliaries. And one of the main differences other than training and equipment between legionaries and auxiliaries, auxiliary, uh, you see this word all the time. Uh, you even see it in engineering and science fiction. It just means like something other, like something in support. The wall was manned by units of auxiliaries and they were usually in these 500 or 1000 man uh, units that were often a mix of infantry and cavalry. And each fort on the wall, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, uh, seems to have been built to hold a single auxiliary uh, unit. And the wall itself, the original height was four and a half meters, and it comprised of three bridges, like over the total length of the wall is what I'm talking about now, 16 forts, 80 mile castles, 160 turrets. Uh, it took a little over a thousand working days to build 100 meters of this wall. And the total length of the wall, uh, it extends like from the Irish Sea to the North Sea, all across the top of Britannia. The total length is 117 kilometers. Just a few numbers for our American listeners. The wall itself was about uh, 73 miles long. And depending on where you were, different sections of the wall, uh, it was generally 8 to 10 feet wide uh, on a 10-foot base and was usually 15 to 20 feet high. So just to clear that up a little bit. Now let's dive a little deeper into the people that actually lived on and near the wall. Um, again, this is from English Heritage. So the Roman army of the first and second century CE uh, was divided into legions and auxiliaries. So we, are, we already kind of talked about that. And like I said, one of the key differences was legions were citizens. They were all Roman citizens and auxiliaries were non-citizen units. And originally they were recruited from uh, fighting peoples, warrior peoples that Rome kind of in their constant uh, desire to expand had encountered and fought against. And once they were pacified and, and eventually Romanized, the Romans realized, hey, like these people would make good soldiers. Auxiliaries were organized into cohorts of infantries and alle uh, or alle uh, which is just the name for a cavalry unit. 
and many mixed units existed that were usually about 500 strong. Now what's interesting is on Hadrian's Wall, you had auxiliaries pulled from all corners of the empire that were, that were manning this fortification. So at various uh, points in the wall's history, there was a cohort of Tungrians that was raised in Belgium. Uh, there was an ala, which is a cavalry unit, of Asturians from Spain and a cohort of Dacians, uh, which uh, were from Romania. Uh, actually, the the Roman name for the province of Romania way back in the time of the Roman Empire, they called it Dacia. There were auxiliary units that were also raised in Britain, but it was Roman army policy that these units would always serve outside their home province. And I think that was just like a question of loyalty. You, you didn't want a situation where if things got really bad because they were so close to home, they could just like peace out and leave and go back to their farm. Another interesting thing is that uh, in the legions, the commanders, the officers were individuals of senatorial rank. These were high, high, highly placed nobles that could eventually aspire to be senators. Um, so it was actually a very prestigious position and the army was one of the chief pipelines in Roman politics and society to power, to you know being a big shot in Rome. Uh, now the auxiliaries were a little different. Uh, the officers there were typically young men of the equestrian order, so cavalry officers. So they were still like of the noble class, but not as highly placed as the commanders of the legions. Um, they would often aspire to rise through the imperial service. And a lot of these officers in Northern Britain tried to emulate Roman life uh, as best as they could. So they would set up like estates and, and import a lot of Roman foods and stuff. Uh, obviously foods that couldn't be grown in Britain, but the Romans did introduce a huge number of fruits and vegetables and stuff uh, that are still living in Britain today and are just such a common part of the British diet. The purpose of Hadrian's Wall wasn't just to be big and imposing and lock down a frontier and keep people either in or out. Uh, it was also to control the movement of goods uh, and make money. So it was a way to catch smugglers and enforce Roman laws and to charge tolls because there were gatehouses and there were roads that went you know, through the wall north and south. The forts themselves uh, had a unit stationed there, like I said, a unit of auxiliaries. And the classic kind of layout is a kind of playing card shaped rectangle. And there were a few buildings within this protective wall of this fort. This would include the commanding officer's house, the headquarters, so like the, the nerve center of this particular unit, and granaries. Uh, granary is just a word for like a, a storehouse where you put grain um, because that would have formed the, the, the kind of foundation, the basis of their diet, obviously supplemented by fruits and vegetables, but the basis would have been wheat and barley, which they could ac actually grow locally. There were also barracks to the front and the rear, uh, but I have read that there were there was endless variations on this plan, uh, so no two of these forts were exactly the same. Uh, which was a little surprising when I read it because I thought Romans were all about uh, standardization. 
But that kind of gives you an, uh, a, a general idea of kind of the, the structure of the wall. And yes, for the record, the wall in Game of Thrones is definitely inspired by Hadrian's Wall. Definitely, definitely. Um, and even <laughs> next time you're on Google, just Google a map of Britain and a map of Westeros and compare the shapes of the two landmasses and where the wall is. <laughs> One last thing I wanted to talk about is the, the story, the myth, the legend of the Ninth Legion, otherwise called the Spanish Legion, Hispania. The story goes that there were 4,000 men of this Ninth Legion that were fighting the people north of the wall. The lands north of the wall were called uh, Caledonia, possibly named after the Caledoni, the, the tribe that lived there. Um, to this day, Caledonia is sometimes used as kind of a poetic synonym for Scotland. Anyway, so you imagine this professional battle-hearted legion, you know, marching off into the, the mist-covered moors of Scotland. And as the story goes, they completely disappeared and nothing was ever found of them. The Caledonians themselves uh, did not claim to fight any battle. Uh, they didn't claim to have any victory. There's no record of any battle. There were no return dispatches, messengers, riders, or anything from the Legion itself. And later, relief columns and investigators sent by Roman authorities found nothing. Um, it seems that after they crossed the wall, they just kind of marched off into history and disappeared. Uh, I did do a little bit of digging. There are a lot of historians who say, no, they weren't massacred or assimilated or disappeared or anything like that. It's just like, we don't have the accounting evidence. They may have popped up in this place or this place in the following century, or they may have been transferred to another corner of the empire. But it's just a really cool story that I wanted to share with you. And it's it's one of those historical speculations that people love to talk about. Uh, kind of like the treasure of Oak Island or the mystery of the colony at Roanoke, stuff like that. But in any case, the Ninth Legion, definitely uh, read about it if you get a chance. So that's all I have for you today. I wanted to do a quick little episode on Hadrian's Wall, world famous UNESCO World Heritage Site, and a place that someday I would very much like to visit. This has been Bite Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I was Nick, your host. Listener mail can be sent to bitesizedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so, so much for listening. Goodbye.